Hello and welcome to the Product Demand Intelligence podcast. I'm Hannah Chaplin, CEO at Receptive, and this show is all about talking to interesting product and SaaS folk that have a great tale to tell and a piece of advice to share. Product Demand Intelligence gives SaaS companies the ability to know what they're building, why they are building it and who they are building it for. And over the series, we're going to explore any topics that relate back to that theme. In the second episode, I talked with Christina Nolan from Interana. We focused a lot on automation, um, but we covered a lot of ground in uh, 15 or 20 minutes, actually. Um, so you'll learn you know, how to recognise which areas of the product process you should automate, why it's so vital for product management to empower customer success and support teams, and the subtle but very, very important difference between being data-driven versus being data-informed. I hope you enjoy it. Um, so today I've got Christina with me, and she is the Chief Product Officer at Interana. She's got an amazing background in products, and it was Christina's background and also the company she works for now that really caught my attention. Um, she's currently at uh, so Interana is it's a behavioural analytics platform, and companies like Microsoft, Tinder, Sonos, Asana use this to um, help guide their product decisions. Um, really keen to talk about automation and data in particular because it's a topic we've not discussed a great deal on the show yet. Um, so here's Christina to to help me out with that. Um, so Christina, thank you again for joining me. I appreciate it. Hi, I'm very glad to be here. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Um, so could you tell me, um, so obviously CPO at Interan, it's, it's, a scaling, it's a scaling company. Um, what is your um, kind of remit within, within the product team? What, what sort of things do you have to cover? Well, so, so I'm Chief Product Officer, which um, means that my, you know, my job is to ensure that we are building a product based on our unique technology and vision that that captures and you know serves the largest possible market to support the greatest growth. So you know I, I I'm sort of you know old school product management starts with strategy down. You know I'm not a, I'm not a lean figure it out as you go kind of person. I'm a company start with vision. And it's our job to build a product and a surrounding go-to-market business strategy that achieves that vision. So that's my job. Um, I manage the product, the individual product managers of the company. I also have product marketing, technical marketing, uh, documentation, and um, you know the bits in between engineering and the business. So you keep busy, which is great. So it's a lot. It's a lot to cover. Um, and I'd seen this presentation online, which uh, which you'd put together, which, which explains it was a few years ago now, but it, it went through how you'd um, altered your product management process using Jira to add a bit of automation into the whole thing. Um, have things changed a lot since then? And do you still look at ways you can automate what your product team are doing? Yeah, so the presentation you're speaking of, I put together in 2007 uh, when I was running product at a company that was also the data space that, you know, we had a freemium go-to-market model. We were very small at the time. The company eventually uh, had a $3.5 billion IPO and is a ubiquitous technology in IT now. Um, but I felt a lot of pressure in two ways, which is with an engineering team moving towards agile 
um, kind of taking the air out of product management in some ways, you know, with this idea of product ownership. Um, I didn't feel like it addressed what I felt managers should be doing, um, which is really analyzing market problems and, um, you know, and, and sort of just input of a customer request often needs a lot of translation and deduplication. And so there's kind of a front process. And then the other problem was just the scale because coming from an enterprise software product management background, I'm used to having at an early stage a handful of customers to talk to. Suddenly I had a freemium product with millions of, of users um, giving us tons of feedback through lots of channels. And I had myself and one other product manager at the time, you know, so automation was key. Um, but what I think has changed is that the generation of product managers I had then, there were new product managers, were really resistant to this level of tracking of what they were doing and trying to be this structured about um, their work and this sort of real-time transparency. There was a lot of resistance to that. Um, today's generation and my, you know, my current role, you know, the younger people in the organization and, you know, and the people who have been around like me as well, you know, the people who have been around like me, we've gotten used to this kind of way of working and the younger people know no other way of working. So there's actually a lot less internal resistance to the legwork that PMs need to do to make this successful because the automation doesn't automate the, you know, initial data entry and thinking. So you know, back in 2007, PMs, you know, felt like it was beneath them to do a bunch of data entry. Today, I don't find that as much because I think people see the value in it. I was going to say, it's really interesting listening to talk, you talk about, um, you know, that change. What, what do you think's been the, the driver behind that? I think it's just all of the tools people use in their daily lives and, you know, I think it's the tools they've used in school, I think it's the tools they've used in other work experiences. Um, I think there really has been a shift just in the last seven, eight years um, towards, you know, understanding that a little process sets you free and the tools to support that set you free, which has also been a boon for those of us who sell enterprise software. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you quite. I think I think SaaS has had a lot to do with that as well. Like people just being comfortable with buying and using um, software in the in in that way as well. That's certainly a change I've seen from um, like like you used to just use uh, Jira or you know waterfall method type you know product methodologies. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of that that change and the openness to exploring other ways of working and certainly see that come about around you know, uh, SaaS tools that have that come out and they're just so much more accessible now as well. Um, yeah. So I think that's been a, a big difference. So when you're thinking about your product team now, how do you, like, how do you recognize which areas of the process you should automate? Well, I think it's a, it's a little bit, you know, experiencing pain and based on experience, you know, uh, anticipating pain. So, yeah, so, you know, relative to that presentation, what I have done in the current environment is we are tracking, you know, just to give a little overview, we are tracking requests for enhancements that have come into our, um, our project in JIRA. I am still using JIRA, um, but a separate project for product management. And we have non-deduplicated you know, requests for enhancements, so we want to get full fidelity 
if five customers ask us for what sounds like the same, um, you know, the same request about access controls, it's five separate requests. We have implemented linking those to more common problem statements where, you know, where product managers do a level of interpretation of what the underlying problem is. Um, we are, we are, uh, putting those into groupings of epics, which is something different than 2007, um, just to, because working better within the, the agile plugins that exist there. And we are, you know, defining features and then linking all of that work in the product management um, project back to uh, what's going on in the engineering um, uh, JIRA project. So, so what that gives us is our customer success and support people can follow a ticket from Salesforce uh, um, uh, help desk ticket. Um, they just moved to that from Zendesk. Um, they can follow links back into how PM is triaging that and they can see how we've interpreted it. They can see if it's been linked to any in-progress work in engineering. And then we manually close all that and ship something. Um, we are going to very soon move to the next level of automation, which is really what I was talking about in that presentation. And we're going to do it fairly similarly because we're starting to have the scale pain, because people are starting to get used to this ticketing. The volume of enhancement requests is getting high enough. Um, the desire from customers to be notified when a feature ships in an update release that addresses their pain in an automated way is starting to be there. So within the next few months, we'll move to the level that automatically when this state entry has been done, if something closes and ships in engineering, it cascades through to the individual customers or users who are impacted and putting notifications into their support portal. Um, but that's a shift. You know, when we were really just focusing on very high-touch, um, very high-touch uh, management of the relationships with those big customers you mentioned, you know, the Tinders, the Sonuses, lots of groups of Microsoft, Asana, um, you know, it was high touch, low volume of requests, so we could, we could, you know, just look something up and talk to them, you know, and we're moving towards a product where we will have a downloadable product, we will have a more accessible product for a broader market, so, and we're starting to feel that pain, so that's the time when you need to start automating the communications with your customers, but then you've got to make sure that your data entry from a PM standpoint is, is really sound, because you don't want to start notifying a customer that you close the request for something based on a feature that has nothing to do with what they asked for. Yeah, um, absolutely. I th you've touched on some really good good points too. I think that the first one which I could certainly relate to was um, putting automation in place when you feel those scaling pain points. Um, that's something we certainly do here in kind of every aspect of, of the business. Some, it, sometimes it's hard to explain what you just know, um, but I think being aware of it is is most of the battle there, looking out for you know wh where you can improve the efficiency and, and which bits you can automate. Um, uh, and also, I liked what you said about, um, you know, giving other teams like uh, customer success and support, um, you know, that visibility and transparency of, you know, what happens to a, a, a ticket, for, it, for example. Um, and I think that's something that's a really good takeaway for product managers as well, I think. Um, you know, the yes, automation doesn't just occur within your team, right? It occurs across, across the company. 
Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but, but support and customer success are key. And when I did that presentation in 2007, I, I ran support as well as product management. And early, early in companies, I've often done that. I don't do that here because we have an awesome customer operations team and leader. But that relationship between product management and your customer-facing teams is the most vital, you know, relationship. And you can get a lot of leverage in product management by empowering customer success and support to do more analysis and partner with you more. So I tend to run pretty lean product management teams relative to most similar companies, and that's because I like to, I like to build processes that allow me to deputize um, lots of other teams to help us but do it within our process and philosophy. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a perfect, that's a great example of how product management can drive automation and efficiency uh, across the organization. And, and as you said, that, that matters so much when you scale. Um, that's everything, really. Um, and then the, the other thing we, we kind of talked about before the podcast um, was, was about data. So I know um, the product that you run in Tirana, it's um, you know, about making allowing people to make data-driven decisions. And I really liked when you said about how, you know, data can inform a culture of a company. Um, how important is, is data becoming in, in, in product management, in your opinion? Well, it's becoming absolutely vital. And, you know, you're seeing this sort of, you know, the customers we work with, you see data teams that are embedded in product that are, you know, there to serve product. You see subsets of the product managers on teams that wear a special data hat to help everybody else out because they're more, you know, they're more adept at it. Um, you see, you know, you, you see uh, product managers in general feeling like they have to come up to speed on various data tools. Um, but the, you know, the, the dirty secret of all of this is that most Product managers um, are suffering from one of two problems that, that thwart their ability to use data. Um, they either are very much hostage to, um, to upstream data engineering teams or data analyst teams and tools that to ask a new question, they have to go to those teams and they have to get you know, new summaries or dimensions built um, in whatever the data warehouse, data data prep, you know, data modeling tools are in an organization. They don't have a lot of direct access to ask new questions, or even worse, they are in they they're restricted to prescriptive metrics in very narrow tools. You know, a lot of the sort of low-end software as a service hosted. Um, web, mobile, clickstream tools. I mean, sure, they can tell you that you had this many people make it through to this step of your onboarding funnel, but they don't help you do the sort of exploratory analysis that curious product managers um, naturally want to do. Um, and the same goes for sort of the so-called self-service BI tools. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of barriers to freely exploring data. And you said data-driven. I want to pick, pick a bone there. We actually make a big deal at Inrana of helping companies become data-informed, not data-driven, because we I believe like humans, and particularly product management humans, um, need to blend their domain knowledge, their natural curiosity, 
and they need to ask lots of imperfect questions very quickly to, to explore some new hunch they have to inform a decision. But you don't have enough data usually around, you know, around enough consistency around the bleeding edge of your product to be data-driven. So data-driven kind of implies that the humans taken out of the equation and it's just managing the machines, and that's not what we believe. I really like that because I think when I say data-driven, I mean everything that you said there. The, the nuance to me is it, it, it's kind of like a nuance, but it is an important um, an important thing to like distinction to make. I think between the two two things. So. When I use the word data-driven, I think I actually mean data-informed, and I think that's a really nice. I think that's yeah. a really nice way to put it, actually. That because I com I mean, I completely agree. It's about bringing data to help those decisions, and then you have to take that information, look at things like you know you touched on earlier, like the the overall objectives of your company, um, where you're going, what markets you're addressing. That's depending on what data you've got. That that information doesn't necessarily come through out of product usage, for example, or like you said. You, you can't necessarily, as a product manager, get your hands on all the data that, that you want to. Um, so if you're in a, pro a product manager and you felt um, you were up against those, um, you know, those restrictions that, that you mentioned, what advice would you give to somebody, um, you know, to go about fixing that? Like, who should they talk to and, you know, how, how should they make the case for better access to, to data? Well, I mean, I think you have to show that the way you want to use data is iterative and requires the ability to ask lots of new questions and what are complicated questions because behavioral questions are the key. We're all trying to optimize the behavior on the services we build. So you're going to have a lot of hypotheses about, you know, about the number of users or devices that go through certain sequences. Um, you know, Sonos, our customer, has built 2,500 custom funnels with their 200 users to model different hypotheses about their business. Um, so I think what you have to do is you have to reject the, the common, well-meaning, you know, uh, ask from the data teams of tell me the reports you want and you have to you have to help them see that what you want is not static reports or even you know pivot tables <laughs> you know or they're <laughs> but you really want this ability to explore and then you know this isn't you know, self-serving but it, you know it's true you know, I think you have to go look at yourself and then show your data teams that there is a newer way and I do believe we at Inorana is that newer way so. You know, we just put up a, a public demo a few weeks ago with live edit data from Wikipedia that you can try out and you can see how you can easily flexibly ask new questions. So you have to experience that for yourself. You have to, you know, you have to show that there's an assumption that um, a lot of pre-modeling or data cleansing needs to be done by the data teams and that um, you know so-called business users which is a term I hate and I particularly hate when product managers are lumped into that um, that we just want static reports and you know that's just because that's been the previous limitations of the technology yeah now that's that's brilliant. That that really helps. I'll, I'll make sure this is this is like uh, written up for everybody, and we'll we'll share it because there's a lot of good um a, a lot of good information in there. Um, so your products obviously available at interana.com. Um, so people can go and check that out there. Um, 
Christina, thank you so much. This has been brilliant. And I'm sure there'll be questions come out of um out of this session. So what's the what's the best way for, for people to um to get in touch? Um, I'm a pretty uh, habitual Twitter user, so you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at C-F-R-L-N, that's five initials, C is in cat, F is in Frank, R is in Richard, L is in Lucy, N is in Nancy. So at C-F-R-L-N on Twitter, um, just uh, uh, message me publicly and follow me and let me know if you want to take it offline to a DM and I'm happy to chat with anyone in PM about automation, about data or about anything PM related. Christine, that's brilliant. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Hannah. Nice talking with you. You too. Bye. Bye. So there you have it. Some brilliant insights from Christina there. I'm going to write a lot of the lessons up in a blog post, um, which I'll share. You can follow me on Twitter at Han Chaplino. Our company web address is receptive.io and all the, the blogs and, and what have you are published there too. Looking forward to you joining me on episode three. I've got the wonderful Daniel Zacharias with me and we talked all about his framework for managing internal stakeholders when you're a member of the product team. So hopefully you'll, you'll join me for that too.